Carrying huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain so close. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. I've always taken my health very seriously, but I must admit it's very tough to have a balanced diet every single day, especially when I'm traveling and on the road a lot. Then I found Athletic Greens. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. So what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I've never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. What a mission. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. What I find is it's beyond easy to use and that's definitely what I need. All you need to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and take it first thing in the morning. After a long flight or travel, it is a must for me too. It's that simple. They also make travel packs which I like to take on the road and to events. I notice a big difference when I include AG1 into my routine. I feel more focused and energized to get my day going. I seem to be more alert as well. Let's all be honest. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity, and alertness. Now, I don't care what you do. I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by many professional athletes and health experts. To make trying it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'll link it in the show notes as well. How's it? Welcome back, sports fans. This is Moving the Needle Podcast. If you're new to the show, how's it? Welcome. Thanks for downloading. Uh, we've got a very cool episode. This is what I like to call maybe the random show, listener questions. We like to give back to the awesome listener base and guys that support the podcast. I've got none other than my great friend, Miles Kelsey, with and a million, million years of awesome experience in the mountain bike industry, road industry. Runs an awesome site called Bike Network here in South Africa. He's a former Masters Downhill World Champion as well. And we are always chatting bikes, industry, good, the bad, the ugly, beers, meditation on bikes. Um, how are we doing? We have somehow made it to episode five of our little series and almost to the end of 2022, Miles. Unbelievable. Hello, Needles. Nice to be here. Um, yeah, I was so ready for 2023. I think in the story where I asked for some questions, I said, give us your highlight of 2023. And someone said, <laughs> uh, we're still in 2022, buddy. So uh, my my head and excitement is almost already in 2023. But let's not forget where we're at. Uh, we've had an epic year uh, in mountain biking in the industry. Um, traveling again 
we did that episode where you chatted about your Morzine experience. So um, how was the industry for you in 2022 as a whole? Uh, I think um, for like it was a good year, um, definitely a great year. I think the industry went from uh, being very busy at the start of the year to somewhat slower towards the end of the year. I think that's kind of a trend globally. I think... Um, you know, retail may have slowed down a little bit and cooled a little bit, but I think um, overall there's more people riding bikes right now, which uh, can only be good for the future. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, on the trails I ride, on the roads I ride, I see, and the events I go to, I see a lot more people, um, specifically around trail and um, EMTB. And uh, yeah, even the local downhill sees a, a series here in the Western Cape is is doing well. So um, I think biking's in a good space. There's a bit of a retail cool down, but I think generally biking's in a good space. And um, uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I hope it. Uh, I think it's going to pick up in 2023. Yeah, it seems like I've been speaking to some of even the major manufacturers, and there are some some cancellation of orders, and maybe the growth that we're so used to, you know, post-COVID and, and all that, that, that's sort of starting to plateau a bit, but it, it's still very profitability. This, the, the excitement, the turnover is still there, but maybe that growth we saw is starting to just cool down a bit, which I guess is pretty normal in, in any industry. Yeah, I think the buying frenzy is cooled and, uh, the, you know, the, the feast is over. So maybe a bit of a famine period on the go, but, um, uh, yeah, there's just um, so, so many more people riding bikes. And I think eventually, you know, those people return for, for more new bikes, small bikes, uh, repairs, spares, and so on. And then more people doing, doing events. There's a lot of events that happen in South Africa. So um, yeah, I think it's a little cooling, but I think, uh, I think it's going to pick up. Wicked. And uh, what about a highlight of 2022 for you personally? Morzine. Morzine riding trip. Yeah, my Morzine riding trip. I mean, that was just absolutely incredible. I uh, like, uh, came home from three weeks in Morzine and just booked my 2023 trip like immediately. And uh, can't wait to go, except this time I'm going for a full month. And uh, you know, I just look, like really looking forward to it. It changed the game. It was the first time I've been overseas to uh, ride as opposed to race in a long time, over two decades. And uh, just, uh, yeah, just, just change the game going over to have some fun, just do long epic days out into Switzerland, riding as many downhills as you can, getting home, calluses and hands absolutely hammered and smashed. Um, seeing how soft we can make the suspension just to like cope, get our hands to cope with stuff. And just the epic, epic crowd. The crowd that we had was amazing and uh, can't wait to go back. More of that. I hope to overlap with you at, at some point. It's cool to see you kind of get the spark for downhill again. And it is talk of the town, isn't it? It's top of the news again. You know, the Discovery Warner Bros acquisition of Downhill World Cup, um, ESXE, Enduro, everything involved, just mountain biking if if you think about where we're at, you know, there's a sort of slow progression, free caster, then the Red Bull TV broadcasting, and it 
becoming more mainstream rampage on NBC. I think it is in America. If you think about that. And now when you, someone like, you know, discovery Warner bros, they want to get the, get into the market here and they see how popular mountain biking is. They see it as this sort of maybe the next cycling discipline uh, on top of, of road. And obviously they do track cycling and they cyclocross um, that is ever popular in Europe. But I think they're seeing how exciting mountain biking is. Yeah, I think it's been very interesting. Uh, I think the riders would have liked some uh, information sooner, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I've seen the presses and seen the layout of it, and uh, it's definitely a big shakeup. Um, it was only announced like a couple of days ago, so I'm still digesting it all. Um, there's definitely, I see a lot of positives in it, although we don't have all the details. I think the big elephant in the room is the broadcast, like where, how, is it free, is it global, like will there be geo locks and all that, and I think um, I think that's that's the only only thing that's that's uh, we don't know right now. Uh, hopefully, we'll know soon. Maybe they even make an announcement before this podcast goes out. Um, but it's certainly quite a shakeup from a layout of the events, and certainly quite a, a change in. I mean, you're still riding your bike down a hill, but it's certainly quite a change in the approach to racing that I that I think will be required. I, I suspect, but we'll see. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, the, the strategy that'll go in has to sort of change a little bit. I mean, the, the facts that we have in front of us are the introduction of a semi-final, if we're talking just downhill. That was some of the main news coming out of rule changes, and I also haven't dissected it and reflected on it all that much. It kind of only happened on Friday, I think, and we're recording this on a Monday. Um but I also like to look at the pros in life. I like to look at the positives. Call me, you know, I, I, I play devil's advocate a lot. Um, and I think you've got to look at every side. But I, I do think we only have one option. That's to look for the positives. Also to look ahead that sometimes change is inevitable, right? Um, just because something was done a certain way for so long doesn't mean it's right or the best. But also you don't want to change something just for the sake of change. But um yeah, an introduction of a semi-final is super interesting, right? The dynamic of fitness, strategy, um, preparation, uh, the mechanic, the bike, the setup, all those things. You're going to have to really change the way you approach a race compared to the old format. That's, I think, a, a, one of the biggest points here is we have the facts that there's a semi-final, which is basically like the old final, 60 people going through to that. And then they're going to whittle it down to 30 for the men and 10 for the women, which will be a live broadcast from what we can tell. Um, and it'll probably, from what we're hearing, closest, you know, I've got some sources close. I'm not going to re reveal all of them, but, I mean, that's going to be cool as well, right? You, you're probably going to get the whole track broadcast, which was maybe one negative we've had in the past. Uh, you're going to get more racing as a fan with a semifinal, but they're awarding 200 points. So... I mean, that's a race in itself almost, right? Yeah, I think, um, so the, am I right? The quali's on maybe the Saturday and then the semi and the final are on one day, which is the Sunday, right? I I didn't deep dive to see if they release a schedule or if it's in the rules. Yeah, I think, that I don't I think what know. I read is the, the, sem the juniors race the day before 
and I think that's the same day as as the traditional quali, and then the following day is semi-finals and finals, um, and then in the men, it's top 60 in the semi, and that gets whittled to top 30, in the women, top 15 in the semi, and then only top 10 into the final. But there's a lot of points up for grabs across the semi and the final. It's, it's almost full points in the semi. So it's effectively two races in one day. Uh, if I read what, if, if what I read is correct, it's essentially two races in one day for the top male and female riders. So that's going to be interesting. Like there's so many questions, like, uh, which I'm sure, I mean, I'm not riding. I don't really care, but I mean, it's like, if I were, if for those races, I mean, they must be stressing about how much practice time is there going to be, um, how much time in between semi-final and final. Um, there's, you know, I think the teams are probably going to need more staff on hand because there's, you know, maybe some bikes would need work. Well, all the bikes would need a clean and a prep up, but maybe there, there'll be a bit of work that might be required on a bike between the semi and the final. Um, certainly going to be quite chaotic for the riders and the teams in the beginning but i think from a from a spectator point of view from a from a media point of view um and maybe ultimately from a growth point of view for the sport there's more like there's more racing like we'll see greg minar fully pinned twice on sunday how amazing is that well maybe we won't see the semi but he will be fully pinned so if you're at the race you can see the best riders come down twice, like throttle wide open. Um, I think that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, there is there, so many points that will definitely be be exciting. And, and I didn't read that part to understand like the full schedule. Uh, and you're right, it'll be it'll be chaotic the first round, like to get used to it, right? So the format's a little bit different. It's like the double headers during COVID. But I mean, these are the best races in the world with the best teams backing them everyone adapts so you know yeah. and everyone's like you would have to look at it that everyone's in the same boat so if there's less yeah. practice technically compared to last year but everyone has less practice so maybe there's yeah. more of a disconnect from a factory team versus a privateer team or a elite team versus a non-elite team because um, that is something that i'm hearing you know is a thing um different rights to broadcast and all that um you know what does that all look like but from a fan base it's probably mostly a positive right if you just selfishly look at it from someone that we can sit back watch more racing uh, maybe we get a highlight package or some sort of broadcast of the semi and then we know clearly their goal is to build a really polished package for the 30 men and, and 10 women that seems to be a given and if you've got the right 30 men there, that's where the race winner normally comes from and the podium riders. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think exactly on your point from a fan base, it's amazing. And that will only bring more people to the sport. And that will only in turn bring more outside industry support for the sport. Because I think within the industry, um, you know, maybe to a large extent, the bike industry's tapped out in this space, you know, like how much more can Specialized throw at it? How much more can Trek Factory Racing throw at it? Well, I mean, they probably could throw more, but where, like, where's the, 
return on investment? Where does it make sense? So I think um, I think the sports um, hopefully going to be bundled into a package that motoring industry, finance industry, tech industry go, hey, we want to play in this space and what does it take to have title rights and naming rights and all that kind of stuff. And ultimately that maybe will bring more prize money for the riders, bring more safety on tracks for the riders, bring more fans to the sport, both on the broadcast and maybe live at the event, open up new venues, open up better tracks, open up more funding to refine some of the great tracks which need a bit of work. Um, so I, I also, I'm like you, I'm glass half full. I, I think that if they can, they can attract big brands to the sport, which we certainly know it's hella exciting, but you know, um, it's not, it's not the NFL, it's not World Cup football, um, it's not NBA, it's not Formula One in terms of viewers, but it certainly could appeal to more people than we currently have watching it. And I think that's great. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm a former rider, you've raced at a high level as well. So you you have that hat that you have to put on, then you're in you know, journalism and, and you've got this website as well. Um, but it's, it's, you know, it's tough to see because also as a rider, you would hope there was some input, right? But, and I'm not speaking out of turn because it's on paper, on Pinkbike, Bernard Kerr, Cami, they have commented that they weren't consulted, right? So you can definitely feel there's some resentment or animosity on that side. Um, those are maybe riders that aren't going to be quite affected by the rule change, but they definitely are riders that are affected. And every time you have protection, some riders, the first rider out of protection, right? So there's all, you, you know, you can't please everyone, which is also, you know, a dangerous place to be to try to please everyone. Um, but I, I wonder, are there going to be some races where potentially some of the guys that were fastest on that track <coughs> are maybe not in the final? Um, because in the previous instance, you could have a bad run or a crash, but you were really fast there and you would qualify 55th, right? So then you're in the final, you're one of the top races, you're mentally strong, you rebound, sort the bike out, sort yourself out, boom. You put that thing straight on the podium, right? And that was a challenge for the broadcasters, right? So they're trying to build the stories of these you know, top 30 that can win this race, and, and that's really good for TV. Now you go to a semifinal. Say you qualified fifth, but you're not a protected rider or you're not one of the top 20, but you're like 25th. But like you're feeling it this week, so you're fifth. Yeah. And then you go to the semifinal and you have a flat. Now is that just racing? Because now you're not in the final. So I, I, mm. I, I'm still on the fence. I don't know. We're only going to have to see. You only know how yeah. it works out when, it, when you get to the season, right? Yeah, you've... Uh... Yeah, this, that's an interesting angle. Um, I, I haven't dug deep into all the, the, the bullet points, but I think um, more racing always. If I look at all, I'm a massive moto fan and massive Supercross fan. Ask me anything about Supercross, I'll tell you it all. <laughs> but um, I think that from other sports I follow, when there's more racing, it often ends up with the more consistent rider winning. Mm. So I think, um, so how many races did we have this year? Seven? Is it seven? Yeah, eight? I think seven in Worlds, seven or eight. Okay. 
um, and we had so you double that because um, Quali had points, but Quali didn't have a lot of points. So maybe maybe the riders weren't throttled absolutely 100%. Um, but now we've got more events with more points. And I think the chances of it, I, I look at it as more races. Yes, there's two races on the same day on the same track, but the track will change and still the rider's execution will change. So I think... Um, riders might need to focus on consistency more and focus on I don't think these guys can get any fitter than they already are I mean if you if you if you're campaigning to be in the top 60 at a world cup you're a specimen or you should be <laughs> <laughs> I agree I just got my legs ripped off by Matt Walker and Greg Williamson on Friday they're out here doing a little training block yeah oh, cool Cool. Yeah, we can you, talk about that a bit later. Yeah, yeah. You are so, you are fit. It's going to play more of a role. Like the fitter guys that were already the fit guys could yeah. probably argue a bit of an advantage. Like Greg Menard back in the day, man. Like what he could do at Fort William in in seeding and then finals, I couldn't do when I first went there. Definitely not. Really, I would really? sandbag that quality. I was like, how the how. How are you going? Because he would like to do that time. He was obviously pushing on the motorway as well. And I was like, there's no ways I can recover. He's like, no, it's two, three hours. I was like, okay, well, I need to get even fitter then because I ain't, I ain't that strong in finals if I, if I emptied the tank somewhat in semifinals or seeding as it was called. So it's like, you've also got to look back in the, back in the past is there was no such thing as protected riders. Yes, there were 80 through to the final. So, you could make sure you were in the final. But there were yeah. also times you got a flat and you didn't make it to the final. So it's just going to be so interesting, you know, go, going probably ahead. Also, probably also more pressure on manufacturers and mechanics to make sure that the bike is sound, you know, like the setup is sound. Um, wheels, wheels have got to stand up. They've, they've got to be strong enough. You know, you can't have flats. You know, you've got to run cush balls. You like whatever it is, there's certain things you've got to make sure that you do probably more so than ever now. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of discussion points which are going to open up over the next couple of weeks. Um, just to, touching on your point earlier, I think it's bullshit that the riders weren't spoken to really early. You know, even the top Okay, maybe top five riders are earning like okay, but like riders inside the top 20 to, to 60 and riders who are trying to make it into the top 60, there's not a lot of budget and support behind them. And to have, when was the last race? August, September? So where are we now? December? Call it, I don't know, just call it four months of radio silence while these athletes are trying to prepare and plan and budget and secure funding for a season. Um, I hope that never happens again. I, I really hope that if they make changes, that's great. Maybe it's just because there were a lot of changes made and a lot of uh, consulting and tests and things that needed to be run. But from a rider's point of view, um, I think they should really have tried to, to do that better, especially because they they also knew um, well before the season ended 
what was going to happen. And I'm pretty sure they could have released some information to say, this is the direction we're going in and we're going to announce, the, there might be some changes, but this is the direction we're going in and we're going to announce the final structure in December. Like, I think that would have um, helped a lot of the mid-pack riders uh, plan their season. So I, I hope that doesn't happen again. Yeah, definitely. It's almost surprising. I thought at one stage not a lot would change for next year. Um, and then you thought there were just rumors, but clearly um, some things are changing and they sort of just jumping in the deep end, right? Um, and and like we're looking at all the positives, there's a hell of a lot of positives, right? And you would, I mean, of course, I would say this to anyone in the industry. I would just would hope that everyone gets a, sort of a fair seat at the table um, and from there, we build a sport that's sustainable for everyone. But again, I'm not in any of these positions. So I I don't know. I don't know the full story. There is so much work and politics probably and red tape that goes on behind the scenes to get something like this done. There's a lot of people sitting at this table now. Yeah. I um, got three interesting comments from Duran this morning, who's um, going to be involved with one of the teams. And he said... Uh, the protected riders will likely go all in um, and there will be some wild runs because if you're, you're hustling for points, we could see more wild runs from the protected riders, which could be good for TV. Um, Duran also said, um, is probably not going to be any many more one-hit wonders uh, sneaking into the top 20 in the series. You know, it's going to be a lot more difficult to pull out an amazing result on a weekend and suddenly get bumped up into eighth place in the points and then you get whittled down to 20 by the end of the season, which is, which is good. Um, not that we've had much of that lately, though. And then he also said, yeah, it's, the teams are going to need more mechanics. You know, it's two, two race runs in a day. So there was some brilliant off-the-cuff analysis from Duran. Yeah. Um, well, that is one point that is on black and white, so we can talk about it. If actually they've released some sort of rules on the protected riders, whether that is all the information or they add to it. But it, it was sounding like only five from the previous year are protected all the way to the finals. If I've got this wrong, please direct message me. Like I say, I'm only here to look what's on black and white. I wasn't even fueling any of the rumors. Um, although yeah. I went on, when is this release? On Tuesday, I went on the Ride Companion one and I had some hypothetical scenarios which could come across as rumors. I think the tracks are going to get shorter. Just saying. Oh, wow. Really? That's just whatever call it gossip call it whatever if you want to if you want to fully broadcast a race run i don't know if you can do it on five minute tracks um all the time anyway so and then the top 10 riders from last year say this is just talking about the first race then they're going to be protected to the semis but you're right so now this guy amri peron he's protected to the final so then it pays off for him to risk a bit in the semi yes there's lots of points he doesn't want to crash out but it's not like, you know, the other riders can't go too hard and risk a crash, then qualify 34th, and they're not protected. They're not in the final the next day. Like, that's the main yeah. goal as well, right? Yeah. Super interesting. I, I think the one rider, and you mentioned his name, I think the one rider 
that this new format um, potentially doesn't suit his Amri Piran because he's just if he's if he's protected, he's just going to be encouraged to go to one hundred and ten percent more often. And uh, yeah, I mean, he just goes all in, doesn't he? But I can we know what happens? Hypothetically, if there's if there's a world where it's either no protection or way more opportunities to earn your protection. And like I said, I don't know if that's all the rules. Don't know if they're going to update it. I'd almost like a yeah. world if they do protection, there's got to be more ways to get protected, to find a consistent bunch of thirty guys in the finals. Because it, I just that's the, I think that's the one question mark or the one thing. It's probably a former racer in me. Just hoping we don't have one or two of these big names and not in the final. And then they missed yeah, a lot of points. That's... Look, it is downhill racing. You've got to be consistent. It's going to reward consistency. It's going to reward smart racing. But uh, maybe you're super strong and then you have that flat in the semis. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 that's always puts a massive damper on the event and i've um like you also seen this happen time and time again since the sport began where big name rider isn't on the start list because of something silly something really silly so um yeah we'll see but i guess that's the story that's the storyline of downhill isn't it as we spoke offline it's like downhill is all about the stories and building stories and it's not a nice one but it's a hell of a story if the likes of a seventh ranked rider in the world currently or whatever, it's just outside protection and has a mechanical. Yeah. I mean, Cami Belanche, I mean, she must be loving the new skate, the new format. I mean, that like a consistent rider, smart rider like her, like I think it suits her. Um, yeah. It also suits on the men's side. I think it suits Minar, suits uh, Troy. Cole. Troy. Troy Troy's Troy. probably <laughs> licking his lips right now. If Minar finishes the season and makes it all the way through, I'm voting Minar for World Cup overall. But if it's if he if he doesn't, uh, I'm backing Brosnan. You reckon Minar? Speaking of Minar, we've got to believe it could be his last race season, right? Yeah, I think yeah. I think we see a retirement this year. Yeah, I think. Uh, I, I text him. We're we're. I'm text him. We're allowed. It's free game. We're allowed. We're allowed. I text okay. the boy. We he uh, he. That's the great thing about Greg. You know, he, he's 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 open cards with that when it is something that he clearly was okay with speaking about. And the context to our conversation is he did a what, what was their tour? It was like his. Was, I guess it was tour. his his celebration of his world champs victory that yeah. they couldn't have because of COVID. And now they got everyone together um, and they put on a great, great vibe there, beers, and, and Craig was getting interviewed there. And he, and he definitely hinted that if the year goes well or he's happy enough, it could be the last one. And Fort William could be a fitting place for it. Yeah, he's, um, he did say that. I was there. And uh, it was strange to see him speak about it in public. And... Uh, um, the guy obviously needs a break. I mean, geez, how many, two and a half decades up there? More than two? Yeah, about two incredible, and a half decades. Yeah. So um, now the pressure's on the other South Africans. So the other guys, you guys are going to step it up because we want to see our flag on the on the hot seat and on the podium. So you guys, 
Pressure's on, guys. Dig deep. Dig deep <laughs> this offseason because Menard might be stepping aside. He might be, but he might like this format and uh, re-energizes him and that comment of him maybe stepping away uh, doesn't come to reality. But rumor mill, do you think we see Sam Hill at downhill races next year? I honestly hope so. Like, Hey, I, I, could you imagine? I, I, I would, that would be absolutely epic. Especially I don't think this is hypothetical. It, I think there's a there's a chance. Dude, the way he was talking about uh, Crankworks and how cool that was, he didn't get to race and stuff. It seems like there's a little bit of an itch there. Uh, on the nuke proof. Yeah. So well, I mean, he bike. was on a nuke. Yeah. He was on a nuke proof. I don't. I mean, he's not changing sponsors, <sighs> as far as I know. I'm just saying. I think it's kind of how it went. He got a bit burnt out on downhill. Went over to EWS, and when he was motivated and hungry, dominated or did crazy well, won some titles. And now, does it How get long? to the point? Does it get to the point that he's seen all the EWS venues? And so he does he was, does he come back to downhill? Jeez, I hope so. Needles that would, that would be incredible. I know. Um, he was he raced EWS for five or six years, something like that. Seven at least, years? dude. At least, yeah. And um, considering that it might be Greg's last year, imagine like Sam. Sam, it's, you have to come back. So you have to. We want to. Yeah, see but like Sam th and think Greg about going. those. I'm putting it out there. It probably is his last year on the Greg Menor side, and I okay. will put my money on that. Sam Hill lines up at some downhill races, if not the season. I've just got. I mean, I've got sneaky sources. Don't get me wrong, but I, it's not fact, and it's. Not his Don't get, don't get yourself break. into trouble. Don't get no, I'm trying trouble, not to. I, I'm just getting excited. I would I would bet it without having any direct comms that I it's happening all, or not happening. I think audience ratings have already spiked. Just <laughs> on the rumor. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. I had some other ones. I don't know what they were. Do you think the World that, Cup could be won on flat pedals again? I never bet against Sam Hill. I've yeah. it's like betting against Greg Menard. You don't do those things in life. You don't do those things on the downhill circuit. I okay. I I I do think the sports changed a bit and the tracks are not quite what they used to be. And it's harder than it was to do that. But he was able to win an EWS title on flats, which I thought would not happen. So I'm here to get proven wrong. When when you talk of Sam Hill, I just think of Norway. I think of uh, 2014 World Champs Norway. I think he was up by three seconds, binded in the last rock garden. And uh, like how fast he was going on flats. Like he, that, that track was so fast. And how he kept his feet on the pedals. Uh, still, I still, I mean, that's eight years ago. I'm still, still boggled about and uh imagine if we get to see more of that this year i mean i hope you're right i hope your your sources are spot on uh, um that is a perfect way to jump into some of the listener questions because that's part of the show even though we've got rumor mills and news being broken and we'll and we'll pick apart the downhill format for sure i'm sure we'll drag sven martin in here as well um let's start with some of mine and this 
this is exactly the point we've just you've just made. Most impressive thing you've seen on an MTV. Crazy line at a DH or jump or which rider. Dave Vella is for P, one of Brendog's great friends, and I know him well. He's been on the circuit. I think because I'm from a downhill side, it's easier for that to be in my mind. And you've just mentioned Samuel. The the race run or two that Sam Hill's been able to put together, and I think the one was at Champery when it rained. And it was an unthinkable thing to get yeah. near the time of some of the guys in the dry. But he was able to do that. I mean, he was doing things against the best riders in the world and making us look silly. And that to me is like the most impressive. He could, his, he just was head and shoulders above some of the rest. If the conditions lined up and his sort of motivation was there, like that run at Champery where he came down with a crash in the wet and then got third or whatever it was. I mean, these yeah. were things that were, if you put money on it at the bottom, they weren't possible. His Valdesol run where he crashed in the last turn, the amount of time he was up and, and the sheer way he was riding that track, it was like a different sport. So for me, that's those are the few that still stand out as, as the craziest thing I've seen on a mountain bike, even though I've seen a lot of things from free ride to the things the guys do at Rampage. But just to be like head and shoulders above the rest uh, on, on a certain track. And he really was. So I think that Champery day, he was second. Uh, I think Matty or... Was it, yeah, Matty did like a dry him? run to win, yeah. Yeah, and then, like, looking at the faces of the riders uh, on that were interviewed afterwards, like, you could just see it was total disbelief. And, and the best riders in the world were completely speechless when, when they were reflecting on Sam's run. So... I don't know that you can top that, eh? I don't know. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that's the best run. It's, it's... And then Valdesol as well when he almost repeated. But um... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd have to think about it, but I think, yeah, that you nailed it. Those are those are two incredible runs. Maybe, I mean, slight bias, Menard, Peter Maritzburg, defending the title, uh, second last guy down the hill, and he wins his wins world champs on his home track. Like that's not easy to do from a pressure point of view. Um, yeah, I agree. Dude, that sheer amount of pressure and expectations on one's shoulders. Yeah. But I mean, from just from sensation, like uh, that Samuel run is well documented and uh, it's quite unbelievable what he did. Yeah. And I think lately, like Thomas Lemoyne's that gap he did at Whistler, you know, being right there in person and, Watching the build-up, knowing Timo Pretzel kind of was the forefather of, of doing something such a crazy stunt. And to pull that off, I mean, that is also an impressive feat to see that on a bike. You know, the guts and the skill, like all of the things lining up. And, and speakers, people speak about Fabio Wipmer on... I think there's like a Paris Steger. People are like, that's, that's when like 100% commitment... And 100% luck and 100% skill. Like when those combine, some of these feats happen because you need all yeah. of it. It's not just skill and um, and commitment. You know, you need the luck for it to be pulled off. So there's definitely been some feats in our sports. So um, fans, I'll don't jump. shoot me down. But needles remind me about Lemoyne. What did he do again? He did it like a oh. So there was like there's the on. So there's the last feature at Whistler in slope style. There's like a wooden 
platform and it's a big drop, the last feature. And then coming up to it, there's a lip onto the top. But he actually sort of rode up and then launched over all the flat wood over and to the landing. I mean, the sheer okay. distance and drop. I'll send you the clip. Okay, I, I think remember it's on, I did see it. He, yeah. he like boosted the whole thing. Just absolute huge boost, huge commitment on a hardtail. Falling, he's falling out of the sky down into the crowd like it's ridiculous. Amazing. Then, um, yeah, okay, well, let's burn through some of these questions. We might not get through all of them. You've got some, I've got, I'll do one more and then you go. The key skill that got you guys from good to top riding, if there is one. Uh, shucks. I love all these, like, the key sure. skill when there's such a broad variety. But maybe I can include it into the other question because a young up against South African racer best tips. No, let's do the key skill because I think I could probably everyone knows you would want to be able to jump and and jumping's a good thing. But I think cornering is an un sort of what's the word? undervalued skill. Some of the best corners in the world were the best riders in the world. Josh Bryson can turn a bike like no other. Sam Hill can turn a bike like no other. Nathan Rennie, if you learn the art of turning and carrying speed through a turn, I mean, that's basically what riding often is, is linking turns and carrying momentum to the next section. Yes, you can learn straight line speed and rock gardens and jumping, but if you don't know how to turn a bicycle, um, I think that's where you can make the most gains, breaking points, exit points, body body position and all that, and, and becoming an incredible turner of a bicycle. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and put some flat pedals on to uh, practice and, you know, go into, like, like we've said before, small track, lots of turns, put flat pedals on and just session it and like, try to carry more and more speed in and out of the turn i think you're 100 right um it's all in the corners yeah even the top top riders uh, who raced clips or ride clips would put flats on and that teaches you another skill or at least it gives you more room for error you can commit a little bit harder drop a foot if you make a mistake and then you learn learn your breaking points learn your balance points and all those things then you you know you when you take that back to clips you'll take that skill set with you but yeah i think that's one of the key things all the aussies they used to do these things called cuddy tracks and kids should be doing that to this day or anyone and they would just f find a flat piece of ground and turn left turn right and they would do it to the point that they would form their own ruts and they would just learn to keep their balance in these ruts yeah it was an incredible thing to witness yeah, they're kind of like using your hips and turning off the back wheel. Yeah, exactly. So like, like it teaches that you that technique and loading. Your brother is so good at loading the outside pedal in a like if there's sketchy traction around a corner. Your brother is so good. You, I mean, as well. Like I just when I close my eyes, I just see Jonty like loading that outside pedal in a turn and uh, ripping traction into a turn where there isn't any. Yeah, definitely. Um, while I'm hot on the pace here. So that was from Cheese Like. Sacking Belinito. Okay, I, I, I bastardized that from Instagram. Thanks so much. 
Trees, bikes, hikes. Did I miss a year? Sure, it's 2022. Yep, you're correct. I'm the one that missed a year. I put 2023 on my uh, story. I was so excited about 2023. So, uh, yeah, guilty as charged. Uh, also from David Vella, your favorite track when you were racing and why? So, obviously, we know each other very well from the race circuit. That's why it's a racing question. But I normally say Schladming. But I'm now not allowed to use that because I always use it. So I'm going to go with what you said, Norway. I think Norway was one of the best all-round tracks. It had it all. Fast open jumps at the top, root sections, bike park berms, open ski runny things, rock sections. And then it often pissed rain, so you needed to figure that out as well. Um, Yeah, definitely Norway. Wish we could go back there or wish the circuit went back there. Amazing. Yeah, Norway is gnarly, properly gnarly. I think my favorite track would be, um, I did some Masters Worlds in France at Prelude a long time ago. And uh, it was quite like raw, open, wide, natural terrain, grass banks. Um, there were like some sandy turns, wide track with sandy turns. And when you go to Masters Worlds, it's... 500 riders something, something ridiculous and literally every lap through some of these turns like it was it was proper moto like the rut was on the inside then it was in the middle of the turn next lap it was on the outside of the turn next lap there was no rut anywhere next lap it was again on the inside of the turn and uh, just riding that raw natural fast stuff um was quite wild i'd like to go back there with the better bikes that we have now i mean back then i was on a single pivot flat pedals feet bouncing all over the show it was crazy but um that was a i have fond memories of the track i also like maritzburg um but i'm not allowed to mention that track because we get a lot of hate no you're gonna not be invited back to the podcast you mentioned maritzburg again but i think sam hill sounds like he would like some of those raw tracks uh keeping on the down old topic for sure he would what about some of the questions that have come your way? Um, okay, so Finley Proudfoot, which is his uh, gent from Cape Town. I've actually done some coaching with him. He is asking um, how to do switchback climbs. Now, Finley's just gone from a trail bike to a mid-power e-bike. And um, Finley, on switchback climbs on an e-bike, I think the key is keep pedaling. And um, use your brakes to control the speed. So just drag the brakes slightly, keep pedaling through the whole turn. You want to be in a easier gear so your cadence is reasonably high because your speed will reduce in the turn. So you want to be in a slightly higher gear, keep pedaling, look through the turn, and keep that motor engaged because that stability, that brings stability, that momentum brings stability. So keep that motor engaged and literally just drag the back brake and front brake a little as you approach the turn and then release as you come out the turn. Um, and I think one other thing, if it's a super steep switchback, what you can do is obviously um, just lower your chest towards the bars a little bit. And it's the one time in mountain biking when I'm coaching, I actually ask people to drop their elbows for a climbing switchback so roll towards the climbing switchback and if it's super steep and you feel like you're going to loop out lower that chest towards the bars and to get there you can't get there with your elbows up you also look like a bit of an idiot so you actually have to drop the elbows and roll forward to get around 
we'll switch back and uh yeah like find go to a series of switchbacks and keep writing them until you get it right so i think that's a good piece of advice I was listening to this, and then when you mentioned he's on an e-bike, I was like, no wonder he's battling. Like, e-bike climbing is totally different to normal bike climbing. The amount of crashes I've had or moments, so, like, maybe don't feel bad. It's it's actually a different skill. Like, we wouldn't normally recommend you drag brakes or keep, you know, all these different things, but it is a different form of of riding, and you're right. When you when you stop pedaling and then you engage the pedaling on an e-bike, especially in turbo mode, the thing, you know, rips out of the turn almost in a weird way. So, yeah, I love that. It's great feedback. And I think I think if you've been told to, and I'm sure Miles, you coaching him, would have told him to set up wide into a switchback, make your eyes look at the exit. You've got to set up even wider than you think possible because the e-bike is carrying more speed. Um so yeah. yeah, that's that's brilliant. But yeah, e-biking is is different, especially going uphill. Yeah, it's different. Uh, there's a couple different tricks which, uh, once you um, once you get them, um, you realize that uh, it's kind of a different game, really. I mean, like I'm just riding full turbo right now on my e-bike. I've, I've Why just, is there I... another? I didn't know there's another mode. What do you mean? <laughs> in the beginning you're like well let's see you know let's get a bit of a workout just try and keep it honest but you know i get my workouts elsewhere i get my workout on my xc bike my road bike in the gym whatever it is but um the e-bike i'm just like i'm doing laps and i'm now i'm now after four and a half years or whatever of riding e-bikes i'm a full turbo rider so yeah you come into the that's climbing switchback so you come in pretty hot <laughs> um especially if it's a trail that you ride on a on an analog bike a lot and then you jump on your e-bike and you're coming in full turbo like the speed can be your speed can be double or triple even so it's fun yeah another and another message out of the mailbag uh so this is from greg harris greg asks explain what shoe stack height is and what the best cleat placement is I ride trail bikes. Okay, Greg. So shoe stack height is um, literally like how high above the pedal axle your shoe is. So some shoes have like a like a quite a thick sole, and then your foot ends up sitting quite a bit higher above the axle. Um, so that's stack height. I don't see it quoted anywhere or talked about much, but um, the lower the shoe is. Uh, to the pedal and to the axle the closer it is um, the more stable you feel so yeah that's why sometimes it's also not a good idea to to put double soles on the inside of your shoe because you end up lifting your foot a little bit more off the pedal so that's what shoe stack height is um, most modern trail shoes are all within the same sort of space um, and then cleat placement, I think um, I just like if you're riding and you, you're prioritizing the descent and technical riding and stuff, you're far more stable with the cleat slid all the way back on the shoe. Or it's not maybe not all the way back because some of the shoes these days have a lot of space to to move the cleats about. But I think uh, like most of my most of my cleats are eighty to ninety percent or hundred percent slammed back, so your foot is further forward and that way the ball of your foot is more over the axle and 
more stable, easier to drop the heels, um, easier to get behind the bike, it kind of feels like. So, Greg, there you go. What are you, Any comments there on that one, needles? No, I learned a new thing. I've never even heard of stackite or thinking about it, but it made sense the way you explained it. Um, I think, uh, yeah, you've hit... Tra- Four? Thing for track riders and roadies it's quite a big thing it's probably to do with your power. power placement and stuff like that and there's been some studies and uh definitely on the downhill side we used to even ignore what a power study would say some say that you get more power if it's closer to the toe and some would be vice versa but for stability um and feeling on the bike as a downhiller we push the cleats way further back. Sometimes we used to drill the shoes because they hadn't really caught up to what we were trying to do on the bike. So I think experiment, like most things we say, one size doesn't always fit all, but there's a general rule of thumb, more trail riding downhill type of rider, you might want to slide the cleats a little bit further back and then and, and go from there. See what it feels like. Because if you think about standing on an edge or when you're doing calf races and, and if you're just on your tippy toes, I mean, can you imagine the the pressure on your calves and your feet and then if you put more of your foot on a ledge and then you lean back you've got more stability and you're using more of your leg if you think about that so um yeah i think you've hit the nail on the head there nice one i got one more question should i fire away go for it fire away daniel looks like from uh, kzn um i'm moving from a 160 millimeter trail bike to an e-bike, <laughs> should I go for one of the lighter, lower power bikes or the bigger battery and more powerful ones? Which ones do you guys prefer and why? Uh, I like the big battery, the big powerful ones, because I can do more laps in 90 minutes that I've got to ride. Um, but I, I'm in a fortunate position that I've got multiple bikes so when I've got time, I ride. I do ride analog bikes or my downhill bike. Um, but if I think if it's a, and also most of my friends have full power, full battery e-bikes. So I think I ride with them a lot when we ride e-bikes. So you kind of want to ride at their speed. And on a mid power bike, you just can't, you can't hang with the guys if they're running turbo laps. Um, however, the lighter. The lighter e-bikes are a lot of fun. I think if I only had one bike, um, I think I'd probably go for a lighter, light power, mid power e-bike because it's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, you could you could punch out laps, you could get a workout, but really where it's nice is you have a little bit of assistance to carry those DH casing tires up the climb and then you can feel pretty close to a downhill bike coming down the climb because you've got the DH casing tire and you've got the extra weight of the of the battery and the, the motor. So yeah, I think if it's the only bike and you're mostly riding on your own, definitely try and ride the lighter bikes. Um, but if you're buying an e-bike to join a crew and most of the guys are on a big, big power bike, then uh, yeah, they're not going to want to wait for you. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but that is like the short answer is if you're going to one bike, you'd almost think it's the mid power one, right? But it's cool. Yeah. Like this question is going to come up a lot, or at least more people are going to have to make this decision. A lot of people are going 
to an e-bike and maybe that's the only only bike and i think more people will go to a mid-power bike but a key thing is what do you enjoy most out of your riding and and who do you ride with like you said if you're always riding with full power e-bike guys then you're the odd one out so yeah it's 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 no one size fits all for sure if i had one bike i'd probably have a mid-power but um, there's nothing wrong with going one bike and it's a full power e-bike. I, I, I want to say that like people going to only an e-bike. Good for you, dude. You're going to ride way more. You can enjoy bikes so much. If you're a guy that likes the feeling of your trail bike currently, but you've got all these mates with e-bikes, hey, maybe you like pretty fit and you want to stay pretty fit, but you just want to ride with your mates with e-bikes and, you know, Go on your own here and there, and uphills annoy you, dude. A half power bike is going to be the dream, too, isn't it? Yeah, I also kind of have this feeling like at the moment it's like full power and then mid power, and it's kind of like which one should I go for? I also kind of have this feeling that in a couple of months' time, there's going to be a lot more in the middle, in that middle ground where so it's a 500 watt hour internal battery with a almost full power e bike. So, like. I think there's going to be a lot of new stuff in that space between mid power and full power. So there could be new things opening up. I'm honestly just guessing. I don't have any insights, but I'm just No, guessing. I mean, but I mean, Scott did release their Lumen and then you've got a range extender battery that you can put on your water bottle cage as well. So that extends the battery power. doesn't extend, doesn't change the power. I mean, I rode it in the parking lot. That bike is so light. Like it's the dream. It is honestly the dream, but it depends what you want. Some people I ride with other guys that are new to the sport, they are not bunny hopping bikes off the ground, no matter how light the bike is. And that's totally chill. They ride, they they don't get airborne. Nothing wrong with that. Um, And that's maybe where like a full power makes more sense, right? I think it's also um, being able to demo these bikes, um, being able to demo a full power and then the next day take a mid-power bike out on the same trail. Because once you've experienced each, as a buyer, you'll know that you'll definitely know which one is for you. Yeah, um, yeah fair enough. Yeah. Okay, that's all from my side, Needles. Um, and then we've got a young up-and-coming South African racer, best tips. Well, Miles called out the South African racers for e. That's awesome that you wrote in. Um, it's obviously a general question. Um, I think race, 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 race some more. Save the pocket money. Experience is key as a South African racer. Is to get overseas at some point as soon as you can. It's not cheap. It's not easy. Where there's a will, there's a way. And, and go see what it's like overseas. Go see the international experience. And it'll help you when you race back at home as well. I know that opened my eyes opened my motivation. I was lucky my my father and my family were able to help with that. Um, but if you are excelling here or wanting to excel, that's awesome. Race as much as you can. Um, but I, I think that's a tip is to get some overseas experience. As far as riding tips and things like that, hey, book a lesson with me, book a lesson with Miles. There are a lot of people that Miles does coaching. I do it selectively, but I'm always there to help and mentor um, and that's another key thing you or your family get hold of some guys that are ahead of you with uh, age and skill and there's a lot of people in this country that will help yeah i couldn't agree more with you get overseas um even if i think if you were faced with um, the choice of 
going to do a World Cup. So as a young South African rider, uh, there's funding to do one World Cup race as a junior, or there's funding to do three, four weeks in Morzine, just riding everything you can. Um, I think you'll improve more as a rider. Well, I know you'll improve more as a rider from the three, four weeks in Morzine. And you can even set up your own racetracks there, like use Strava, whatever it is, and do your own mock races and that kind of stuff. But um, the terrain is very different over there, much steeper, much gnarlier than what it ever was before. And it can, it, like just lining up as a South African downhiller, lining up on a World Cup track as your first experience overseas, I think it's kind of overwhelming unless you're a super talent, clearly like Needles and, and Minar were. But I think it's um, there's a lot of gains to be had from spending four weeks at a European, doesn't have to be Morzine, but at a European bike park. Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be four weeks, you know. Um, and even at a pro level, I spend time in regions where uh, there was gnarly riding or the tracks were longer in preparation for like a Switzerland Champery race. And I put flat pedals on. So even at the top level, you might have a certain skill set and know that you're lacking in another one. And I used to ride with riders that were better at me technically and on gnarlier tracks. We'd spend a week in Morzine and then we'd head to Champery. I was way more comfortable. And I think what Miles has mentioned is actually brilliant. Is maybe there's a race as an option. But maybe if it's in the budget, spend some time before that in these zones that have bike parks, have rough tracks, have long tracks, four or five minutes. You're just going to feel more comfortable on your bike and, and that's going to help you. And, and I was lucky enough when I went to my final World Champs as a junior, we decided to do a race before and a race afterwards. But we also rode in a zone that had some test tracks. And there were less places like Morzine out there. So we didn't really have an option. It kind of was do a pre-race or nothing. So uh, nowadays these bike parks exist that you can maybe do some prep before World Champs or if that's your goal. But uh, yeah, I think that's brilliant, Miles, is get experience wow. overseas. It's not cheap. It's not easy as a South African. For our international listeners, they might be like, what are you talking about? Just fly from London to Geneva. It's an easy jet flight and you're there. But for us, it's a long haul flight and, and, and a lot of money. But uh, yeah, experience on the tracks is even more important than, than experience at an international race. 100%. Completely agree. Um, then I sent out, anyone got some highlights of 2022? A Jonty Nietling responded. Interesting. So that's my brother, as you know. Uh, you falling in a bush after the hangar wine booze cruise seems to be his highlight. And that is me falling in a bush. Okay, fine. Whatever. I'll tell the story since Same you are so nicely. Same so, uh, yeah, we uh, started a wine tour on the mountain bikes, uh, set off from the hangar. We'd like, I think we'd like to grow it, maybe a yearly thing. Stop at a few wine farms. We did some mountain biking and I took on a bet. But I couldn't ride in my tallest gear from the first wine uh, farm to the next one. But I didn't know how far it was. It turned out to be like 20 kilometers. I thought it was about seven or eight. So I stubbornly just was on my spark, put it in the tallest gear. And I've done, you know, you know, sometimes in training, you do the hardest gear over the top of a climb on your road bike and it helps with power output. So I was like, whatever, I got this. 
Turns out 30 degree heat, wind, sun, tall gear, and uh, one or two glasses of wine, you run out of uh, blood sugar. You end up bonking, Miles. So I was one on the way. Yeah, I was on the way to the last stop, and we had to go past the, the bike shop up the last hill. And you know when you just realize you're dizzy and you can't see straight and you go, I don't know if I'm going to make it. And I wasn't pissed, so he's full of shit. I was actually just bonking. I had no energy left. And uh, there's a bush, and then a friend of ours was on the road, and I took one look and I wanted to stop. So I put my hand on the bush, and it sort of started falling more into the bush. And I just couldn't get myself to do anything else but because it was just like a hedge to just collapse in this bush and just sort of sit there for about 20 seconds. And then I gathered my took all my energy in the world to get myself back on this bike and do a hundred meters. That's where the farm was from the bush. Wow. And I just walked into this restaurant and I stopped the guy from doing whatever I said, I don't want to be rude, but please bring me a, a Coke right now. If I don't get sugar in this <laughs> the next 30 seconds, there's going to be a big problem here. I think I'm going to die. My, fia my fiance is going to be charging at you. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I was yeah, I was in no man's land there. So if anyone's done hard training days and they didn't have a snack or take the right fuel in their water bottle, yeah, that was me. Yeah. So thanks, John, for that. Not really my highlight of 2022. I think my That's highlight funny. of 2022 was probably my trip to Italy um, and riding that Iosta Valley hanging out with the Scott and all the athletes. That was super cool. And launching a new bike is always exciting. You know, It's always exciting to be involved in it and get something new and shiny. Uh, that was a really big, big highlight on my on the riding side. And probably... Is that more a trail destination or... A Oster, well, yeah, more trail if you're going to visit the place and you can book um, guided shuttles, definitely trail bike. Okay. But also Pila bike parks at the top which is famous for downhill as well. So you can ride both there. But I'd say these days with, with how capable the trail bikes are, for sure trail bike. And pretty cool. You know, people were coming from England, getting out of the weather, and they'd book three days, five days. Um, and you, ride, you can ride like a different trail throughout the day. So it was pretty cool. That was probably a highlight. And then World Champs was special this year. The energy, yeah. I got to commentate it well, which was pretty, really cool. An honor, but just to see the, the the Frenchies deliver in front of their home crowd, you speak about pressure, like Greg delivering at home. For those guys to deliver in Leger, uh, you know, almost one of the homes of mountain biking, if you ask me, in France, that was just to be there. I'm super thankful to just be there in person because seeing racing in person is so cool. What an event to experience. I mean, the French is going one, two, three home at, on their home track. And then just like the, the being mobbed on the French. Yeah, mobbed. That must have been it was like a, con like a rock star. It was rock stars yeah. at a concert getting mobbed. The people wanted to get there and they would do anything. <clears throat> Unbelievable. Oh, that's another highlight. So, Sven, Sven, like pushing a John Dom off the podium because he needs to get the shot. <laughs> that was a highlight as well. Sven almost getting locked up. Oh, that was classic. pretty funny. That's so and, unlike Sven. <laughs> no, super unlike him. Uh, so you've sent your some of your questions. We're not going to get to all of them, but you mentioned you. What did you get out of the top ten articles on your site? Because that was like kind of some intel into like what's getting searched. 
what what people are clicking on. I thought that was pretty interesting. Like, what what did you oh, cool. get out of that? Um, I got out of that that um, let me just find that article quickly so I know what I'm talking about. Um, I got out of that that trail and e-bikes are a very fast growing category in this country um and yeah i think like people appreciate original content still you know we're living in an age where the brands have massive budgets to create their own content as do athletes and ambassadors and so on but that's um uh, people appreciate lo locally produced content, which is cool. Um, and actually, my article on innovation um, was number two, the, the second most read article of of the year. And it's I just reflected on all the innovation that we've had in the sports from the '90s, um, and I used the pick of Greg Herbold demonstrating, uh, you know, how downhill was back in the '90s. You know, um, disc wheel. <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So I think that's, that surprised me that um, there was such interest in the development and the tech and the innovation. So that's, that's on our side. The number one read article was obviously Alan Hatherley winning uh, the XCC opener of the season in Brazil. Um, that was a big news story for South Africans because we've got a quite, we've got a massive endurance market here. Um, and yeah, uh, Scott Genius review was in there. The Trek Slash review was in there. So it's a bit of a mix from reviews to fitness uh, and some explainer articles like how to how to ride e-bike, uh, e you know. So um, yeah, that was quite an interesting uh, process going through and put, picking those out. Yeah, that's wicked that everyone's interested in the innovation, you know, and we've been speaking about its incremental games. But I think that article is so interesting because if you compare what it actually was back then to where we are now, you know, yeah. I mean, it is yeah. an crazy journey. But, you know, yeah. if you only just got into the bikes 10 years ago, even oh, it's not that crazy, yeah. you know, things had disc yeah. brakes, dual suspensions, droppers, you know, they were there or thereabouts. You know, it was still a mountain bike, a modern day mountain bike, but it for sure wasn't a modern day mountain bike back in the day. Dude, hundred percent, absolute 100%. pile of crap I, that you I, had to ride I, down I a do. hill. <laughs> Dude, completely. I mean, I spend a lot of time at the local downhill racing, and I just, I just love helping out at the local downhill racing, and I do some media for them. And you know, there's a strong, deep contingent of youngsters coming through, and. You know, when I when I see one of the parents or one of the kids that have been riding for two, three years and, you know, they cut a tire in their race run or they, you know, whatever, like they had some uh, something technical happen on the bike and they couldn't finish the race and they, they're so upset and they're gutted and they're so angry. I, I like, I want to just jump in there and say, you guys have no understanding of where we've come from. Like, it's not a bad tire. It's not a bad bike, you know, like um, once they've calmed down I, I, and they're a bit more receptive, I kind of take them down memory lane to the late 90s and early 2000s where if you got down a DH track and your chain was still on, it was a result. It was amazing. 
like your chain would come off three times on a single downhill run. Your, you know, we ran motorcycle tubes inside the tires to stop us from flatting, you know, and we had 2.0 XC tires that we were using on downhill tracks. And I mean, you know, you were there needles, but um, for the listeners who've recently taken up the sport, modern mountain bike equipment is incredible. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that article's on the site, that innovation article's on I'll, the site. I'll link, in I'll fact, link to I'll it. In fact, what I'll do is I'll... I'll link to it in the show yeah. notes. You, I've got it. Yeah, yeah. Just remind me. I That'll think it's awesome. a, it's a. I I enjoyed going through and seeing what the trends were, and and then reading that article and seeing what people are searching. I do not want to forget. Speaking of what you were mentioning, uh, another question for the world of MTB. Wicked boy of the bucket. What a cool name. So he mentions our show name. Avid follower of DH World Cup champs, etc. Seems to me whenever a rider blew a tile for rim this season on the live feed, there was little or no sealant in the tires. The times I've blown a tire, it's made a right mess. <laughs> Agree. Are they not bothering with sealant these days with more and more riders using inserts? Thanks. Great and interesting pod. Cheers, boy of the bucket. I think that's awesome. Good question. Valid point. Um no, I know for sure they're still using sealant to some regard. Obviously, maybe less because you replace tires so often. I think you end up putting more. You know, if I go into the bike shop, Jonty's like, just put a bit more in. I'm like, how much? He's like, this much. You know, especially in hot weather, it sticks to the tires, it evaporates, builds up. So I think you can put a lot less in. And they're definitely using inserts, which also can, depending on the insert, absorb some of it. Uh, I'm not sure they're rolling out there without any sealant just to like seat the tire. But at the same time, I'll reach out to some of the mechanics because you don't need much sealant because you ain't, I mean, you, you ain't solving for a thorn in downhill racing. Yeah, you, you know, when you, you when you smash you a tire, sealant ain't doing anything. So you're probably riding yeah. minimal to no sealant and just a little bit of sealant to seal the tire on the, on the bead. So he's probably yeah, I, noticed something that I haven't even paid attention to lately. Um, I think if you're riding in an area where there are a lot of thorns, then you need to have some level of sealant. But I think the tire and rims are so good these days. The tolerances are so spot on. And they naturally seat and seal quite well. And a lot of the reason why we used to put a lot of sealant is, is because you were always burping. And you needed extra sealant because you would lose a lot of sealant. But if it's, I think in the last five to 10 years, we've been able to get away with less and less sealant because the rim and tire is seating so well. Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And he's just made me think about it more because I just haven't paid that much attention since I retired from it. So thanks for the shout out. And then uh, Federico on Instagram as well. What skill would you advise me to learn for a guy trying to get fast or die trying? Oh, I did remember this question. That's funny. <laughs> uh, that's a good way of putting trying. it. Yeah, he, want, he clearly wants to get fast as shit or die trying. So, fun way of asking it, but I think, I think we technically answered it with the cornering. Is the fastest riders can corner the shit out of a bike. Yes, they can go yeah. fast in a straight line, but I think the talent comes with linking turns, 
getting very good and smart about your breaking points, being efficient. You know, the clock doesn't lie. Lloyd Bruni yeah. never looks like he's missed a breaking point, never even looks out of control. That I mean, that shows how efficient he is with his riding, and he can obviously corner like the best of them. You know, um, I'm going to show my age here, but um, a long time ago, I was at a downhill race with Greg Menard in Mexico. True story. <laughs> and uh, we were racing on, uh, there was, it, it, the track was very rocky. And um, like I, I said to Greg, I, I feel like, I, I don't know whether I should use body armor or not. You know, like obviously got knee pads, but I don't know if I should put a chest plate on or not. And we were kind of going through the era back then. So this is like 02 or 03. And we were kind of going through the area where it was cool to not ride with chest plates and back plates. And I said to Greg, like, I'm not sure what to do. He's like, dude, just put it on. I was like, hmm. Because it was, it was very uncool to wear a lot of protection in those days. And Greg said, just put it on because you'll be more relaxed with it on. You'll feel safer. You'll be more relaxed and you'll ride better. And it's literally 20 years. That stuck with me for 20 years. And it, it, it was true. Where you put, I put it on. I did two, three runs. There were one or two features that I unlocked when I had the body armor on. And then I felt comfortable. I actually took the body armor off for the race run. But uh, that's always stayed with me. And I think I'm massive, I'm so uh, pro-protection. So I think if you want to get fast, start trying. <laughs> um, put some cool, protection on. Like, put some protection on. Dude. Yeah, it's I mean, just, that's you, a... Yeah, to, to get fast or there. die trying, you're clearly willing to potentially crash, right? So let's mitigate how bad the crashes are. Work up to it. But I think repetition is key. You don't get fast by just going as fast as humanly possible because then you're going to crash, you're going to lose confidence. You're not going to figure out why you made If you have a huge crash, you might not even know why you crashed. It could be a multitude of reasons, but ease into things, push yourself, make some mistakes. You know, you'll sort of auto-correct. But I like that. Definitely put some protection on. I'm a fan. Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, if we release this, it is almost the end of the year, 2022, another year of doing the podcast. Man, I appreciate all the messages, the reviews. If you got some value, share it with a friend. And we don't release these listener ones like all the time, but we love doing them. But we need your questions. We need your support. I've always taken my health very seriously, but I must admit it's very tough to have a balanced diet every single day, especially when I'm traveling and on the road a lot. Then I found Athletic Greens. I'm so excited to partner with them personally and for this podcast. I actually started taking AG1 long before this partnership even came about. So what is this stuff? Think of AG1 as your all-in-one health insurance. I know I do. I've never been one for taking a million different supplements or vitamins. What a mission. So this is the perfect all-in-one solution. With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced ingredients, probiotics, and adaptogens to help start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, nervous system, immune system, energy recovery, and helps enhance your focus. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals, artificial anything, all while still tasting good. What I find is it's beyond easy to use and that's definitely what I need. All you need to do is mix one scoop of AG1 with water and take it first thing in the morning. 
After a long flight or travel, it is a must for me too. It's that simple. They also make travel packs which I like to take on the road and to events. I notice a big difference when I include AG1 into my routine. I feel more focused and energized to get my day going. I seem to be more alert as well. Let's all be honest. We all know we don't eat enough vegetables or consume the healthiest meals some of the time, especially when we get busy. We all want something quick and easy which will help us in life. AG1 supports better sleep quality, recovery, mental clarity and alertness. Now I don't care what you do, I think we can all agree this is super important. AG1 is trusted by many professional athletes and health experts. To make trying it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash moving the needle to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. I'll link it in the show notes as well. So guys, thanks to Miles Kelsey from Byte Network and all the guests that came on. And if you guys want to let me know which your favorite episode was of 2022, that'd be super awesome. Then I know what you guys are after. What did you like? What did you dislike? I take all the feedback. Uh, Till the next one, Miles, thanks so much for you. You'll be back in the New Year's. Peace out. Yeah. Peace out. Cheers, Needles. Always a pleasure.